Go ahead and find our places. We got a lot to cover tonight, um, a lot to get through. If you got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we are going to be in the same verse that we were in last week, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I promise that next week we will at least make it up to verse 8, uh, but tonight we're still in the second half of verse 2. And as you can see, the title of our lesson is uh, the will of God. So let's read the verse together. Paul says, do not be conformed. Don't copy the ways and the actions and the behaviors of this world, but be transformed. Be, experience a metamorphosis that changes you into the person that loves to do what you ought to do, into a person that puts God in his ways first and not self first. How do we do that? By the renewal of our mind, by changing the way that we think. Now, we covered that in pretty good detail last week. Tonight, we're going to look at the second half of the verse, because this is the purpose of the transformation, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. Tonight, we're going to tackle uh, what I think is one of the more complex subjects in the Bible and that is the will of God. Okay, and we're going to do this in two ways. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at what does the Bible mean when it uses the term the will of God. Most people might think, well, that's pretty simple, right? The will of God means what God wants to happen. But it's not simple because God is God. You see, the fact is we all have a will, right? We have things that we want to happen. Tomorrow morning, I want to go to Crawfordville. I've got a breakfast uh, appointment in the morning, so I want to go to Crawfordville. And I want that to happen. So I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to get dressed, I'm going to get my wallet, and get my keys, and I'm going to get in my truck. The problem is, is I cannot guarantee that I will make it to Crawfordville. Several things could happen, right? The truck might not crank, I might get a flat tire, uh, I might be in an accident on the way there. I uh, might have a heart attack. I might get a phone call that says you're needed somewhere else. There's, there's a myriad of reasons that I might not be able to make it. Because, see, as a human being, I cannot guarantee that what I want to happen will happen. But, you see, God is not like that. Because He's God, He can absolutely guarantee that His will will come to pass or not. That's His choice. So, so it, it, because he's God, the will of God isn't that simple. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Now, once we understand the meaning of the will of God, we're going to turn to the second question, which is how do we know God's will? I would probably say, Pastor Henry would probably say, and, and, and Chuck and others, that that's one question they get probably more than any other in, uh, throughout their time is, how do we know the will of God? How do I know I'm supposed to marry this person or, or take this job or buy this home or move to this city? We all want to know that we're doing the right thing in the will of God. And tonight we're going to talk about that, and I'll try to help you as much as I can. So let's start with the first part. <clears throat> what does the Bible mean by the term, the will of God? Well, it turns out that in the Bible, there are two very clear and very distinct and different meanings of the term, the will of God. Okay? And, and, and these aren't little nuances. They're very clear in the Bible that they, it can mean two different things. Sometimes when the Bible uses the term, the will of God, it's referring to God's sovereign will. Okay? 
when it uses the term this way, what it's referring to, God's sovereign will, refers to God's control over all that comes to pass or all that happens. All right, so let me give you an example. Matthew 26, Garden of Gethsemane, the night Jesus is betrayed, he's, he's praying off to the side. And he prays this prayer. He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Let your will happen, God. Let, let, Father, let what you want to happen, happen. Now, here's the question. What was the will of God for that night and the following day in the life of Jesus? Well, we don't have to guess about that because Scripture tells us. Isaiah 53.10 says this. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord that his body would be broken and that his blood would be shed. That was the will of God. The New Testament puts it this way in Acts chapter 4. Truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You see, folks, that is the sovereign will of God. The will of God was that Jesus would die on a cross. That was God's plan. That was God's decree. God had ordained that. I think it's Revelation says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. It was always going to happen. And God made sure that all the circumstances all came together on that, in that time and that he died on the cross. Now we see scriptures here that define this sovereign will of God all throughout the Bible. I'll give you a few. Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is talking about his sovereign will. Matthew 10.29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. That's talking about God's sovereign will. And what, what Jesus wants us to see there is, is he controls it all. Two sparrows sold for a copper coin. What, what's, what's cheaper than that? And yet they don't die apart or outside of the will of God. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. If we were writing this today, we would say something like this. The coin is flipped. But whether it comes up heads or tail, that belongs to God. Proverbs 21.11, the king's, uh, 21, the king's heart is a stream of water. In the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he wants to. This is the sovereign will of God, designing circumstances, decreeing uh, circumstances so that whatever happens is according to his will. And of course, Daniel 4.35 he does according to his will, his sovereign will, among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is the sovereign will of God. Now, I want to tell you three things about the sovereign will of God. Number one, it is almost always secret. In other words, it's known to God, but it's not known to us. Now, I say almost always because sometimes God does reveal his sovereign will. In fact, we just saw an example in Isaiah 53. He told the prophet Isaiah, who, who, who prophesied that, by the way, five or six hundred years before Jesus came. He told Isaiah that, that this is my sovereign will. This is what's going to happen. The Messiah is going to suffer. Okay, he, he, so he does reveal it sometime, but most of the time, 
what God is doing behind the scenes, we have no clue. It's not like God comes to me and says, Derek, I need you to do this so these other things will happen. And if you don't do that, I'm not, it doesn't work that way, right? God is working behind the scenes in His sovereign will, and I have no clue as to what's going on. The second thing about the sovereign will of God is that it is inviolable. Now, what I mean by that is that it cannot be broken. When God decides something is going to happen, it can't be changed, it can't be thwarted, it can't be uh, uh, perverted, it can't be modified in any way, shape, or fashion. When God says He's going to do it, He's going to do it. It will always come to pass. The third thing I want you to see about the sovereign will of God is that you and I don't consciously participate in it. Now, obviously, we all participate in the sovereign will of God. Daniel 4.35 says he does his will according uh, amongst the inhabitants of the earth. But we don't consciously participate. Everybody understand that? I mean, God's doing things right now, and he's working things and putting people in certain situations, and, and we have no clue what he's doing. That's the sovereign will of God. That's one meaning. But there's another meaning in the Bible concerning the will of God. Sometimes when the Bible uses the term the will of God, it's referring to God's revealed will. Okay? Now, when it uses the term this way, it's referring to what God wants us to do as individuals and tells us to do. Okay, let me say that again. God's revealed will is what He wants you and I to do, and He tells us to do those things. It's not a secret. Let me give you a couple of examples. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So God says to me, and He says to you as a child of God, this is my will for you. This is what I want you to do. Purity, holiness, sanctification. That's the revealed will of God. Let me give you another one. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So once again, he's telling us exactly what he wants us to do. Now, here's the difference. When it comes to God's revealed will, you and I have a choice. We can obey or we can disobey. We can do what he asks us to do or we can choose not to. Okay? Now, let me just prove that from Scripture. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but say it with me, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, the fact is not everybody goes to heaven. Some do, some don't. What's the difference? Some do the revealed will of God, and some don't do the revealed will of God. Some obey the revealed will of God. Repent, believe, trust, and some do. And others say, nah, I'll go another way. And they don't. So the revealed will of God can be obeyed or it can be uh, disobeyed. So here's the two wills of God and here's the difference. His sovereign will comes to pass no matter what. You can't change it. But His revealed will, we have a choice. We can choose to obey or we can choose to disobey. His sovereign will cannot be broken. If He decides it's going to happen, it's going to happen. His revealed will can not only be broken, it is broken, grievously broken, every single day. Okay? These are the two meanings of the will of God in the Bible. Both are true and both are extremely important and we need to understand them both. 
Okay, and here's why. I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, we need to understand them in order to even understand Scripture. You see, in the Bible, it just uses the term, the will of God. It doesn't say, oh, I'm talking about the sovereign will, or I'm talking about the revealed will. It just uses the term. You have to figure it out. So let's, let's do a little exercise here. Isaiah 53.10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Well, is he talking about the sovereign will? Or is he talking about the revealed will, what he wants someone to do? He's talking about the sovereign will. And we understand that now, right? Or how about our, our passage tonight, Romans 12, 2? Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Okay, well, which one are you talking about, God? Are you talking, I mean, Paul, are you talking about the sovereign will? Are you talking about the revealed will? Well, to me, it's obvious he's talking about the revealed will. I'm not, I don't need to go around searching out the secret will of God. I need to know what it is he wants me to do. And in fact, a good clue is there. Find out what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect, what you should be doing in these situations. So here he's talking about the revealed will of God. Now, here's the second reason we need to understand them both. And that is so that we know how to understand evil in the context of God's will. We need them both so that we can understand evil in the context of God's will. So let me give you an example, and this will explain it better. Let's say that someone perpetrates an act of violence against you or against someone in your family. So you can use your imagination. It could be a drunk driver hits someone in your family and, 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 and injures them pretty badly. Or someone breaks into your home or your home of a loved one and violates them in some way. Some, some act of violence, okay? Somebody comes to you and says, let me ask you a question. Do you think that was the will of God? Now, that's a really good question. Do you think that was the will of God? And here's the thing. This doesn't deserve a simple yes or no answer. You see, the fact is, if I say yes, that was God's will, then somebody's going to say to me, oh, you mean it was God's will that one person hurt another? Well, that contradicts the Bible, doesn't it? I can find numerous scriptures that would contradict that. And you say, no, no, I didn't mean yes, I meant no, it's not God's will. Now that I've thought about it, and you would say, well, what kind of God is that? What kind of God is this that can't control anything that's going on? What I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to serve a God like that. And in fact, I can find numerous scriptures that can contradict that—that that God is in control. So, how do I answer the question? You see, the two wills of God allow me to answer that question and not contradict the Bible. So, here's what I would say to that question: Somebody says, "Do you think that was the will of God?" I would say, "No." Because the revealed will of God tells us that He wants us to love one another and have mercy towards one another and be gracious and kind and gentle toward one another. And when that person committed that violent act, they disobeyed the revealed will of God. And God hated that. God hated that sin. It angered God. It grieved God to see that thing happen. And if that's your answer, you'd be 100% right. Sin angers and grieves the heart of God. Mark 3, 5, Jesus looked at the Pharisees with anger, grieved in his heart, or grieved at the hardness of their heart. 
But at the same time, I would say this. Yes, it was the sovereign will of God. Because there was a hundred ways he could have stopped it. And for reasons that I don't understand, he chose not to. Okay? Now, I don't know if you just realized it, but what I said just said there was really good. Really good. But I don't want you to just hear it from me. See, you need to hear it from Scripture. You see, on the one hand, here's the thing. We need a God that's in control, don't we? I need to know my God is working all things according to the counsel of His will. I need to know that my God is in complete control of every molecule in this universe. I need to know that God can work all things, even bad things, for my good. But on the other hand, I need to know God hates what's happening to me. I need to know that God is angry at those violent acts. I need to know God is grieved when people sin against me. I need to know that God empathizes with my pain. Are you with me? You see, that's what these two wills of God give us. That's what they give us. But again, I don't want you just to hear it from me. I want you to see it in Scripture. Let's go back to the crucifixion of Jesus. We just read it. Let's read it again. Truly in this city... There were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, I want you to think about the actors in this verse. Men like Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Men like Herod and Pilate, these corrupt government officials. Uh, the Roman soldiers who thrust the spear into the side and, and, and jammed the crown of thorns on his head and, and hammered those nails into his hands and feet. The Jewish Sanhedrin who tried him illegally at night broke numerous laws in order to convict an innocent man. And of course, the crowd who hollered, crucifying. You see, every one of those men and women contributed in one way or another to the violence that was perpetrated against the Lamb of God. Yes? So here's my question. Were they in the will of God or were they out of the will of God? Were those people disobeying the will of God or were they obeying the will of God? You see, 10 minutes ago, you'd have had a hard time answering that question, but now you should be able to answer it. Because the answer is this. They were in His sovereign will. They were gathered together to do whatever his hand and his plan had what? Predestined to take place. They were in his sovereign will. But folks, they were not in his revealed will. Every single one of those men and women knew right from wrong. Every single one of those Jews knew the scripture. They knew how they were supposed to treat people. Even the Roman soldiers had had their conscience, the law written on their hearts. They knew they were doing wrong, and God hated what they were doing. God was grieved at their sin. They were doing exactly what they wanted to do, and unless they repented, they will suffer in hell for an eternity for that sin. They were in His sovereign will, but they were completely out of His revealed will. You see, His sovereign will is invincible, can't be broken, it's inviolable. But His revealed will can be broken every single day, and it is broken every single day. But we need these two truths to understand the will of God. If you don't have them both, you'll have a misconception of the will of God. Now, now that we know that, we're ready to go to step two, which is 
How do I know the will of God? Or let me put it a better way. I'm going to show you five ways that God leads us in His will. Okay, I'm going to show you five ways that God leads us in His will. Number one, He leads us by decree. He leads us by decree. Acts 16 says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Y'all remember this story? It's an awesome story. Paul cast a demon out of a, a girl who's, who's uh, telling fortunes. She gets completely changed, and, and the, her handlers, the men that were, were running her, they get angry. They have Paul and Silas beaten, and they throw them in, in prison. They're in prison at midnight. By the way, I want you to notice what they're doing at midnight. They are doing the will of God, who said, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Here they are in midnight in a prison, beaten, their wounds bleeding, and I'm sure uh, they're in a lot of pain. They're shackled, and they're praising God and singing hymns. And an earthquake comes, the shackles fall off their feet, the prison doors are open, and the jailer jumps up, and he sees that, and he pulls out his sword, and he goes to kill himself, because he knows he'll be blamed. He figures they're all gone. And Paul says, wait, stop, we're all here. That man comes in there and says, sirs, tell me, what must I do to be saved? And they, he said, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved in your household. And he takes Paul home, and he binds up his wounds and cares for him. What an incredible story. But you see, that was God's plan, not Paul's. Paul didn't get up that morning and say, you know what, I got this great idea. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to cast this uh, demon out of this girl and they're going to beat me almost to death. And they'll throw me in prison. When I'm in prison and I don't be praying and God's going to bring an earthquake. Are you with me? He didn't plan any of that. He, he, he had no idea what was going on. He didn't consciously participate. But this is what God does all the time. God sovereignly designs and decrees circumstances to put us exactly where He wants us to be. This is called the leading by decree. This is the sovereign will of God. It's unique because we really play no part in it, to be quite honest. It's all being done behind the scenes. God is designing and moving and putting us exactly where He wants to be. Now, here's one thing about this. This is the best type of leading there is because it is 100% infallible and trustworthy. 100%. God, if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You ain't got to worry about it. Job 42.2 says this, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God decides... Listen, if God decides, hey, on January the 28th of 2022, uh, you're going to lead somebody to Christ in the parking lot of Winn-Dixie. If God decides that's going to happen, guess what? It's going to happen. And he's already working circumstances in that person's life, in your life, so that on that day you come together in that parking lot and you lead them to Christ. You have no idea what's going on. You have no idea. But God had a date. Set. God had a time set. God had a decree made, and He will bring it to happen. That's how He leads, first of all. Second, He leads us by writing it down. He leads us by writing it down. You see, one of the ways that we know God's revealed will is when it is clearly given to us in Scripture. Clearly. 
Now think about this. I, I've often said, I, I've, I've made this statement that if you ever see me do that, it's because God's finger wrote it on the wall. You ever said anything like that? Yes. Well, folks, he, he wrote it down in this book called the Bible. He literally wrote down what it is he wants you and I to do. He reveals his w- will in simple, easy to understand directions in Scripture. What he wants us to do and what he doesn't want us to do. Let me give you some examples. How about the Ten Commandments? Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't kill. How about the Sermon on the Mount? Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Give. Forgive. Don't worry. How about the letter of the New Testament? Be filled with the Spirit. Be humble. Encourage one another. Don't get drunk. Don't sue one another. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The list goes on and on and on. It's not rocket science. You ain't got to wonder about it. It's written right there on the pages of the Bible. Now, here's the thing. These commands from God are 100% trustworthy because they come from the will of God. But listen to me closely. They are not infallible as a method of guidance because they are disobeyed each and every day. You wake up one morning and you, you go in your little home office and you need to print some pa- you need to print something and you realize I don't have any printer paper. So you go on to work, you made a mental note on the way home today, I need to stop and buy some printer paper. So you're at work and you're working and then it gets late in the afternoon and you walk by the, the little copy uh, room in your, at your building or whatever and you look over and guess what's sitting right there? There's some printer paper. Man, I won't have to stop by Walmart or whatever, I'll just grab that and take it home. God, what's your will in this situation? Uh, Don't steal. I kind of wrote that down with Moses a lot of years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, better not do that. But, yeah, man, I, I really ain't got time. And so guess what? You do it anyway. The will of God was clear, but you chose to disobey. How about the young man that meets, uh, he meets a girl. And, buddy, she, this is it. This is the one. He's got a checklist, and she, she checks off two of them. Number one, she's hot. And number two, she can cook, right? She's, he checks those two off. There's just one little problem that he don't think she's a believer. She says she is, but he's been dating her for a little while now, and he doesn't really see any passion. He doesn't see the obedience to the word. He doesn't see the love for God. So he really doesn't think she's a believer. And he's in the Bible one day and it says very clearly, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But God, she's so good looking and she can cook and he marries her anyway. Right? The command was clear. But he see, the problem is not with the Bible. The problem is not with Scripture. The problem is, guess who? The problem's with us. You see, folks, this is why we need a renewed mind. This is why we need a mind that puts God first and not us first. Because the natural mind is going to go to Scripture and it's going to find commands in Scripture that say, deny yourself. And the natural mind's not interested in that at all. The natural mind is anti-God and pro-self. The natural mind is self-worshipping. We need a renewed mind. We need a mind that changes the way we think. So that when we come to those commands, we embrace those commands and put them into practice. 
without the renewed mind, we'll just, we'll run from those. We'll, we, we'll figure out a way to get around the clear commands of Scripture. Number three, God writes some very specific things down. And, and to be quite honest with you, if we would just do what the Bible tells us to do, that would take care of a lot of issues in our life, wouldn't it? Just do what it tells you to do. But in life, there are always going to be decisions that we need to make that are not written down in Scripture. Let me give you a few. Should I get vaccinated? Should I attend a gay wedding that I've been invited to? Should I call a him a her? Should I marry this person? Should I, should I wear these clothes? Should I watch this movie? Should I listen to this music? A thousand decisions that we have to make every single day that are not, you're not going to go to the Bible and it says, don't wear that dress. You're not going to go to the Bible and it says, don't marry that person. Don't buy that home. Don't, don't take that job. Don't move to that city. So what do we do in those cases? In those cases, we make a decision through something called discernment. Discernment is when we apply biblical truth to situations that are not explicitly addressed in the Bible. This is exactly what Romans 12.2 is talking about. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Change your mind to put God first, His ways first. Become the person that loves to do what you ought to do so that by testing... You may discern what is the will. Do you understand when the Bible says don't steal, there's no testing involved. Are you with me? <laughs> Why would you test that? It says don't steal. You know what stealing is. There's no testing when you know what it says. This is talking about situations where it's not clear. Should I take the vaccine? Do I call him or her? Do I listen to this music? That's not written down. You have to test to see, is that the will of God for me? Now, the big question is, what does testing mean? If you want to take a note, now's a good time. Testing means using a renewed mind to assess all the relevant factors in the light of God's Word with the goal of God's glory. Now, that is a good definition. I wish I'd have come up with it, but I didn't. Somebody else did, and I just, I just copied it. Testing is when you use a changed mind, a mind that puts God and His will and His ways first. You assess all the relevant factors in the light of the principles and the Scripture in God's Word with the goal of not my satisfaction, what I want, what I need, but with the goal of God's glory. Number four, God can lead us through special revelation. Okay, Acts chapter 8, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go south. Acts chapter 11, in those days prophets came down and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. Genesis chapter, chapter 20 verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is another man's wife. So here we have God guiding people through what we call special revelation, through angels or through dreams and visions or, or, or through prophecies or words, these extra outside things, okay? Now, I believe that special revelation is a way that God can use to lead us in His will if He chooses. But, and I'm going to put a big qualifier around this and I want you to listen very carefully to what I have to say. I do not believe 
that special revelation is meant by God to be the, the default or the normal or the go-to method by which we make decisions. Okay? I just do not believe that. And I'm going to give you three reasons. But let me say it again. Do I believe it's real? Absolutely. But do I believe it's the, the go-to method, the normal method that you and I should go through life and make decisions looking for a word or a feeling or an intuition or a dream or a vision or something like that? Absolutely not. And I think this is necessary to say because in my experience, a lot of Christians are going through life and this is their go-to method. When they have a decision to make in their, in their life, this is what they're looking for. God, just give me a, I, I just need a word. I just need a feeling. I, give me something, God. I, give me, and that's what we're looking for. And I just don't think we should be doing that. God, if God wants to, to do that and give it, that's his business. But I don't think we should be doing that as a normal way. I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, I believe scripture warns us against it. Jude 1.8 says this, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. These are people, they're relying on dreams, not Scripture. You see that? They're relying on dreams. They end up rejecting the authority of the Word. They end up defiling the flesh because they're just relying on feelings and intuitions and dreams. And I think there's a warning there. Don't rely on that. Not saying it doesn't happen, but I'm saying we shouldn't rely on it. Number two, of all the ways God leads us, it is the least accurate. I gave you four ways, decree, commands, discernment, and then a word. Do you understand when you look at that list, you're going from the most certain to the least certain? Do you understand why? When God leads by decree, it's all God... And none of us. Right? When God's working circumstances behind the scenes and all that, we don't even know what's going on. That's the best way to be led right there because we, we're not even participating in it. He's just taking care of the whole nine yards. That is 100% certain. But then you drop down to the commands of the Bible. Now, these commands are clear, but yet now we come into the picture with our will, don't we? Do we choose to obey or do we choose not to obey? Well, now we drop down to the third one. Now the commands themselves aren't even clear, right? Now we've got to even do more work from our standpoint. We've got to get in the Scripture. We've got to discern and test and figure this thing out. It takes a lot more work on our part. It's even less certain. If you get all the way down to the bottom where we're having dreams and things like that and, 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 and words of prophecy, if, if the Spirit speaks to one person, that person has to hear it they have to interpret it. They have to decipher it. Then they turn around and come over there and tell it to somebody else. Now I have to hear what that... Per That's a lot of human beings getting involved in it, ain't it? And it puts a large amount of uncertainty in it. Again, the problem is not the Word of God. The problem is not the Spirit of God. The problem is us. See, the more we're involved, the more error-prone it is. Because our perception of it and our thinking about it and our delivery of it to others can be fallible. That's why, by the way, even with things like prophecies and special revelation, you're always told, test it. Test it. 1 Thessalonians 5, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. How do you test it? You assess it in the light of God's word with the goal of God's glory. 
assess it all and hold on to what is good. Number three, not only does Scripture warn against relying on it, not only is it the least accurate, but you see, I think God, first and foremost, wants us to use our mind. He wants us to use our mind. In fact, here's something interesting. Let's look real quickly at the Apostle Paul. What do you think he relied on for guidance? I mean, he, there's nobody that believed in, in, in special revelation more than Paul on the road to Damascus. I mean, Jesus appeared to him, right? I mean, he's had dreams. He's had visions. He's been to, the, he's been to heaven and came back and said, man, I can't even talk about what I saw up there. What do you think he relied on for guidance? If you just start reading the New Testament, it will surprise you how many times you find things like this. Philippians 2.5, Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. So Paul's got a guy named Epaphroditus. He's going to send him to the church at Philippi. He thinks this is a, I think it's necessary to send him. Where did he get that from? Did, he, was there, did an angel come and say, send Epaphroditus? Did he get some kind of special word? No. He said, what? I reasoned it out. I reckoned it out. I, I thought it necessary. I know Epaphroditus. I know his strengths. I know Philippi. I know what you guys need. I think this is a good fit. How about 1 Corinthians 16, 4? If it seems advisable that I should go, they will accompany me. Paul says, when the time comes, if, if it seems right for me to go, if it seems fitting, if, it, if, it, if, it, if, you know, if I've thought the process through and it seems right, then they'll go with me. Or how about 1 Corinthians 6, 5? Paul says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? And I love that. Paul doesn't say, are you telling me there's nobody there spiritual enough to have a dream? Is there nobody there not spiritual enough to get a prophecy? Is there nobody there spiritual enough to get a... No. What did he say? Is there nobody there that's got a renewed mind? Is there nobody there that's wise enough to use the principles of Scripture to settle this dispute among brothers. See, over and over, what we see Paul doing is using his mind, encouraging us to use a renewed mind. Now, why? Why, and this is really important, why would God prefer us to actually think things through than just to get a word? Why do you think he would do that? Well, let me ask you another question. What does God want from our lives? What does He want from our lives? Romans 8, 29 says this, For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. You see, God wants me to be more like Jesus, not just a person that, that can obey commands. He wants me to be conformed to the image of His Son, not just a person over here that receives information and does it. He wants us to have a new mind, a new way of thinking, a new way of judging, not just new information. Let me, let me give you an example. I want you to think for a minute about a servant and a master. And, and this servant, he, it's possible for him to do everything his master wants. He just hears the command and he does it. He just hears the command and he does it. He doesn't think about it at all. If the master says, put it over there, he puts it over there. If he says, get that from over there, he gets it from over there. If he says, I want you to go over there, he goes over there. He don't even think about it. But what if one day he's not given any details? What if one day the master says to him, hey man, I'm going away for a while. And while I'm gone, I want you to represent me. 
I want you to make the choices that I would make. I want you to do the things that I would do. That's a whole different ball of wax, isn't it? See, now he has to think about his master. What, what, how's my master like? What does my master really believe? What does my master really think? What does my master love? What does my master hate? Can you not see that's exactly what God wants from us? He wants us to see the way he sees. Hear the way he hears. Think the way he thinks. Hate what he hates and love what he loves. He wants us to get to know him so that we emulate him, that we conform to him. So here's the question that I ask myself. Am I studying scripture? Am I praying and laboring for a renewed mind that can discern God's will for my life by applying biblical principles with the goal of God's glory? Or am I just walking through life looking for a word? See, that's a good question. Roman, I just think Romans 12, 2 says, be, don't be conformed, be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that by testing you can discern what is the will of God. God wants us to be changed. All right, I'm going to throw in one more thing. So let me just say this. That's why he does not make special revelation the normal means of finding his will. Because if he did, you wouldn't need to be transformed. You wouldn't need a renewed mind. Okay? All right, number five. I'm going to throw this one in for free. One of the ways that God leads us, and this is a way that we never think about when you think about God's will. One of the ways that God leads us is by changing who we are. By changing who we are. Matthew 12, 35, Jesus said, A good person out of his good treasure brings forth good things. An evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Of course, what he's talking about there out of the treasure is our heart. Matthew 15, out of the heart comes evil thoughts and adulteries and slander and theft and all of these other things. Have you ever thought that probably, and I don't know what the percentage is, but let's just say 95% of your behavior during a day is not premeditated. You don't even think about it. It's just a, it's just a reaction out of who you are. Everybody with me? What does that have to do with God's will? Well, think about this. God commands things like, don't be angry. Don't be prideful. Don't, don't covet. Don't be jealous. Don't envy. Don't be anxious. You see, I don't, I don't come into life. I don't wake up one day and say, you know, I got, I'm going to make a decision today. I'm, Brother Bill's a better preacher than I am. And I, I'm, I'm going to decide whether I need to be envious or not. Does anybody do that? No, envy just comes out of your heart. But yet, when it does that, you're breaking the revealed will of God. You're disobeying the real, revealed will of God without even thinking about it. See, they, all those things just rise up out of our heart without any kind of thought or any kind of intention or, or reflection or anything. Yet they all disobey the revealed will of God. Listen, this should tell us one thing. And that is, above all else, there is one great task of the Christian life. Be transformed. Be transformed. Be changed. Now I'm walking through life and I'm not envious because I'm content. I'm not angry. All those things that used to come up out of me aren't there anymore. And I'm walking in the will of God and I'm not even thinking about it because I'm a different person. 
I'm transformed. I don't think the same way. I read Scripture and it says do it. And I'm, my bent now is to do it, not to not to do it. Be transformed. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. What an incredible, incredible God you are. And what an incredible word you have left us. Father, I know every single person here has situations in their life where they need to know the will of God. And uh, Lord, I just, uh, I, I know I do in certain things. So Father, I just pray that somehow, some way tonight that your word goes out and makes an impact on our hearts. That God, that we'll understand that the, our focus in this life shouldn't be so much about the job or the home or the city or the, or the, or the person. Our focus should be you. Our, our focus should be learning who you are and how you think and what you would do. Changing our mind to think and be and act like you do. And then when we walk over into these situations, your will, and, and more times than not, is going to be clear. It's going to be clear. Father, you're an awesome God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.